As a follow-up to episode 33, where I discuss spending, saving, investing in cryptocurrency, today, Dan Grinnell joins me from Oakland to chat more broadly about household finances and how he, as a father, husband, and homeowner, approaches spending, saving, and investing. Dan and I met in Peace Corps, Guatemala, so he knows me as Javi because, well, Jarrett is tough to pronounce in Spanish. I'm Jarrett Carpenter, and this is Wi-Fi and Water. Dan, welcome to Wi-Fi and Water. How are things in Oakland? We're hanging in there. Yeah, I mean, it's been a rough year for everyone. You know, we still employed, still healthy, COVID-free. So uh, something to be thankful for. Totally. I remember talking to Luz Maya, I think it was late summer, early fall. And it was just kind of a surreal situation that the West Coasters were dealing with because it's like we're in the middle of a pandemic that totally attacks the respiratory system. And on top of that, there's massive amounts of trees being burned and that smoke is just totally a part of your daily life. And so I, I was feeling definitely for the West Coasters and I'm glad you guys got through that. And now we're in February of 2021. I even completely forgot about the wildfires. <laughs> so it's yeah, been that type of year. It's been huh? a rough year <laughs> yeah. for uh, everyone, but yeah, also in California, for sure. So Dan is joining us because I put out, as I say, the 21st century bat symbol in the air, which is essentially I put on my Instagram. Hey, does anyone want to come on and talk about spending, budgeting, saving, everything that has to do with personal finance, household finance, I think, and just general money management? And Dan reached out and he was like, yeah, I would love to do that. And so Dan is on today to share some of his story, his experiences, and hopefully we'll all take a lot away from it. Let's start as a homeowner. And I kind of know a little bit of the background of the house because I was there shortly after I think you guys purchased it. But talk to us about being a homeowner and how that plays into the household's long-term financial goals as far as building wealth. And I ask this because I think sometimes people go into homeowning and they think that they're going to build wealth. And it always isn't the case. It depends on whether you're on a 15 or a 30 year, whether you're on a fixed, whether you're on a variable, whether you paid over market value and then the market dips. There's a lot of things that come into play. So maybe speak about that. Why did you guys decide to buy this house? And how has that been as homeowners? I guess I probably want to preface my response with knowing that, you know, I'm a, a white guy and someone who is, you know, has privilege in American society. So, you know, this is not something that you know, everyone can really achieve. And I don't, I don't want it to sound like this is something that, that everyone needs to do or should do or is even achievable for everyone. I'm aware of, of my privilege on this topic too. In terms of like buying uh, where we did, you know, we've been living in Oakland for about, I guess like five years now. And we bought in 2018 in the Fruitvale area um, of Oakland. And it was a, a major kind of fixer house. So there was, you know, a lot of you know, different things that needed to be fixed up. We basically bought the house as is. That's, I think, probably... Um, the only way we could have afforded a house, especially in the Bay Area. And Bay Area, Bay Area is really kind of an anomaly, I think, for the housing market in general, because it is just so expensive here. 
And I know at least like in Oakland, currently they're about 60% of the residents rent because they can't really afford a home on their salaries. So, you know, it, it is something that only really a small majority can even really do right now in the Bay Area or let alone probably most people in the U.S. Just because the housing um, prices have gone just so completely out of, you know, reach for people because their wages have stagnated and all that. But aside from like my, I guess, you know, my own thoughts on like income inequality and like unaffordability of housing, I think buying the fixer was more than anything, it allowed us to build equity that we would have never been able to really save over the last three years. So like, for example, I'll kind of you know, I'm kind of more transparent with my finances in general, but we bought the home for 550. And you know, right now, with kind of all the, the improvements we've made and the way the market's been going in the in the, the Bay Area, we're kind of estimating that we've built about two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in equity. And there's just no way that we could have uh, saved that much money over the last three years. And my wife and I both work in government jobs. We don't work in the tech sector, <laughs> which is, you know, that's a completely different tier of the economy, in my opinion. But I mean, we do have good jobs, but I still don't think we could have saved that much money over the three years that we've owned this home. So I think in that sense, it's been a huge benefit financially. The more I've kind of researched this, when you sell a home and if you've lived in it, um, at least here in California, you've lived in it as your main residence for two years or more of the last five years, you're also exempt from capital gains tax. So we wouldn't pay any tax on up to like $500,000. So basically you have the tax-free equity up to $500,000 as a married couple that you basically build from owning a property. Well, this sounds like it was a phenomenal decision then, because if you purchased in 2018 and we're at the beginning of 2021, in about three years, you guys have come up with around $300,000 of equity. And a lot of that is sweat equity. We definitely had to spend money to build that equity too. Um, I think we spent around like maybe 50,000 or so improving. Uh, We did like a bathroom remodel and a kitchen remodel and other projects as well, like landscaping and I guess general improvements. But there is some money you have to spend upfront to get that equity, I think. I think even, at least here in the Bay Area, even if you didn't do any home improvements, you would still be building equity over the years just because single family homes are are in short supply. Yeah, it sounds like it's just been a phenomenal investment over such a short time to have put in such little amount of money, I guess I should say, to get that much equity back, obviously taking into account, as you're saying, the appreciation of the home, because houses have definitely appreciated over the last year and a half in Massachusetts. All of my friends who are homeowners have all definitely benefited from that. And now with the coronavirus, if you're a homeowner, being able to push off payments on your mortgage has also been huge because it just means more money in people's pockets to either invest in the stock market, which has also been going well, or think about, you know, maybe putting into a rental property, maybe refinancing. There's a bunch of different things I think you can do when you have a home and you have that asset to be able to kind of leverage into more money. And so where are you guys with investments? What's the household long-term plan? Is it investments? Is it the home? 
What's the portfolio look like? And has that changed since COVID? I think you always have to look at your house as an investment because, you know, there's always probably a possibility that you could sell it in the future. And, you know, everything you do to it could increase the value of it and put, I guess, more money in your pocket when you sell it. I think in, I don't know, in terms of how like maybe COVID is maybe change this. Well, I mean, there was a lot of things that happened to like our, my, my wife and I, this uh, like in 2022, because we also had a, had a child. So, you know, that was a whole life-changing experience as well. So like, I know right now, you know, we all are starting to invest in like a college savings fund for our daughter. And I guess that's one thing that has changed in terms of like what we're putting away. I don't know if you would look at that as like an investment, just maybe, you know, like some chunk of change that you can use uh, for your, your uh, son or daughter later. I think the one, the college saving funds that are available, as far as I understand, you know, they do, I think, generate interest as the years go on. So, um, you know, there is some type of, you know, return on investment there. You know, I, we were already doing a lot of home improvements uh, during before COVID happened, but I think that's actually what kind of peaked too during COVID. It's just like no one else had anything else to do. Uh, so they're like, let's just work on our house and and <laughs> go to Home Depot and and uh, I don't know, trying to build equity in our home. You know, there wasn't really a lot for anyone to do. And so like, you know, we just continued our home improvement projects, I think during COVID, just like we were doing beforehand. And those were like the major things, but We've also like invested in cryptocurrency and I know we'll get to that discussion soon, but, you know, I guess we were already aware of that investment being an option because my brother was in very interested in cryptocurrency, like starting in like 2015 and his wife actually worked for Coinbase for a while. Oh, wow. So, you know, we had some... I guess you could say insider knowledge on things that were going on there. But I just thought, you know, even back then, like, wow, they actually have a company that is buying and selling and trading like cryptocurrency. Like, I, I guess this is something legit. How um, much does cryptocurrency <laughs> make up of the uh, household portfolio? It was good that I went through this exercise because I, a lot <laughs> of times I don't know, like, how much we spend you know, on these certain items um, in terms of like percentages. I guess uh, yearly we spend around maybe like 3% of our surplus of our income on cryptocurrency investments. I'm very much an amateur still at this. Like I did not believe in cryptocurrencies like when my first, when my brother was first talking about it and uh Honestly, wish I had <laughs> listened more <laughs> intently, like when he was talking about it in 2015, because people are making a lot of money. Like, so the rest right of the 97% surplus, where is that? Where does that go monthly? So I guess to kind of like break this down, like I, I went through the percentages and the tool that we use or that I use um, is, you know, I don't really endorse any like big corporations at all but we have a Bank of America account and they have a online spending and budgeting tool that's actually free for everyone that has an account. And it's gotten like more complex as the years have gone on. So it's actually been really useful in kind of determining like 
how much money we spend and how much we have left over every month typically. But right now, I guess we're spending about like 64% of our income and we have 36% left over. So that like 36%, because, you know, we own a home and we've been doing a lot of projects, uh, we spend about like 44% of that surplus or that leftover amount on like home improvement projects. And maybe even a little bit more because there's some stuff that maybe just not categorized right on the Bank of America website, or there's things that maybe I just haven't, I kind of missed on this. But so like, yeah, of the surplus that we have every month, it's like 44% home improvement, 3% cryptocurrency, 7% to college savings fund for our daughter, and then 39% into a high yield personal savings account. It's a local like credit union bank here in Oakland that we um, put our like savings into and they have pretty good your interest rates on uh, the money that you put in there. So, you know, I guess generally we, you know, get like $15, $20 per month in interest on our savings account. And I just feel better having a local bank from Oakland <laughs> use our money than probably Bank of America usually. But if you were to add it up, you know, like there's still still about 60 like a certain percentage that I just haven't accounted for. Uh -huh. and uh -huh. I don't know. Like if I had to guess, that's probably just going to like home improvement projects because I think that's where we spend like half of our our surplus usually. In the amount that's allotted for home improvements, is the mortgage tied into that? Um, no. Uh, so like the 64% of our income that we spend. Right. Uh, that is including our mortgage every month. Okay, cool. And then how big in your house, how big is the conversation around money? Is it something, is it like, hey, it's Sunday, we're gonna have that 20 minute talk, the 10 minute check-in. Is it a monthly thing? I never having been married, am very interested uh, as to how those conversations go because I think the more comfortable you are talking about money, the more likely you are to be good with money. If you don't talk about money and if it's like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Or, oh, that stresses me out. You're just kicking the can down the road and it's going to catch up. So at least what I found in my life, even with conversations I have with myself, because I do a check-in every Sunday, I say, all right, what was my spending for this week? What did I probably make this week? Obviously making sure that what I made is far outweighs what I spent and then kind of break it down like that. So how does your household and how do you guys kind of manage that? On the spectrum of like, not wanting to talk about it or, you know, talking about it all the time. We're probably on the end of, you know, talking about it more often. <laughs> so how often? Maybe once or twice a week. I think the fact that cryptocurrency has gone up a lot uh, over the last few months, that probably has sparked kind of our conversations a bit more. Kind of like the statement that you said, you know, like if, you're shying away from that conversation. I think there's, you know, probably some issues there. Like, like there's, you know, certain things we haven't had to deal with. Like we aren't carrying any like student debt. My wife did actually have some student debt, but was able to pay it off maybe like five to 10 years after she graduated from college. That topic probably brings up a lot of stress for people. And it, it's not something that like, people want to talk about. I think maybe because there's less things that make us uncomfortable, 
when it comes to finances, we talk about it more. I don't know. I, I'm kind of a more direct person and I'm, I'm usually pretty good at just talking about really uncomfortable subjects. I'm more of on the spectrum of, you know, let's, let's get down to the details of, you know, like how we're spending our money and like how we're going to invest it, you know, really how to maximize like our return on investment or whatever you want to kind of call it. One of the unique things that we both have is an experience-based understanding of living on not a lot of money. Because, wow, we didn't say this at the beginning of the podcast, Dan and I met in the northwestern state of Huehuetenango in Guatemala when we were both Peace Corps volunteers. And as Peace Corps volunteers, we were both probably making $320 to $330 a month, which essentially covered the roof over our head, the food that we needed to eat, some transportation, and then maybe having the equivalent of like 20 US dollars to spend on like fun. Needless to say, I think that that is a very unique experience that we had. And so we've lived and we know how to live kind of frugally and really make sure that we're budgeting and being intentional about our spending. And how have you seen that carry over? Does that bring any pain points? And I say that because I know in past relationships with myself, I don't think my partners have understood just how frugal I can be. And it's not out of a place of being cheap. I just really feel like there's certain value to some things and I'm just not going to pay ridiculous amounts of money for this if I know that will give me the same amount of utility. How does that come into your household? Do you bring any of your Peace Corps lessons? Because that's something that many Peace Corps volunteers speak about, being able to understand budgeting and being really intentional about their spending and not just kind of being like, oh yeah, whatever. Oh, I don't know how I don't have any money at the end of every month. A lot of times, maybe it comes down to like what you value. I feel like I, I value uh, experiences more than actual like possessions. You know, my wife and I will, you know, before COVID, uh, used to travel a fair amount, and you know, I got a lot more out of that travel than buying physical possession. I think also maybe seeing how little uh, a lot of the people that we worked with had uh, in Guatemala, I just think about like this question always comes to my mind, like what would they think, it, you know, like of like this house that, that we have now or like the car maybe that we drive, you know, they'd be, they'd be like, wow, you're, you're doing like really well. Like this is, you have so much. And I think maybe in the U.S. it's just, you know, it's always a competition it seems like here and you know, I think people, they see success as, you know, like bigger and better and more and more. I think that experience with Peace Corps is kind of made me realize that that's really not how you define success at all. I think your desire to invest in experiences over tangible things or anything that you need to charge is kind of the way I try to limit the amount of things I need to charge in my life is really something that plays into kind of a minimalist life because I totally self-describe as a minimalist. If you come to my apartment, you'll see that there's a full room right now that has nothing in it just because I don't feel the need to like fill it. And the Peace Corps, one of the things that it showed me in the lives that I was able to live and work alongside was that some of the happiest people I've literally ever met had what by what our definition would be nothing. 
yet they're way happier than 90% of the people in my life, maybe even including myself. I'm not going to, you know, talk about everyone else like they're so different from me, including myself. Kids who've got a pair of shoes to wear, a t-shirt from the Paca, maybe, barely have two meals a day, and they never... I never saw them without a smile on their face. And I think that that is a huge lesson learned. And it's not something, once again, it's not something you can buy. You can't buy that lesson. That lesson doesn't come with batteries. And that was, I think, a huge thing. Because I try to like whenever, and, and I'd love to hear your stance on spending, but I try to, when I spend now anything, I kind of Marie Condor it. Do you know who Marie Condor is? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I try to Marie Condor it. So I'll be sitting in a place, and I did this tonight. I went shopping and for groceries and every once in a while, I let myself buy some ice cream. I get this coconut vegan ice cream. It's to die for. It's way too expensive. But I had the conversation. I said, do I need or do I want this? And I settled on that. I wanted it. But if I say I need it, if I get past level one and I say, okay, I need this ice cream. Some days, maybe I feel like I do, even though it's more of a want. But if I get there and I say I need it, then the next step is I Marie Condor it. Will this bring me happiness? And 90% of the time, no matter what you're going to buy in any store, it's probably not going to bring you the happiness you think that it will. And that money is better spent on like what you're saying an experience or investing in something that will compound and give you something down the line, whether it's your daughter's education or the ability to potentially think about retiring earlier than what society says, which is like 63 or 65, which that seems weird to me. So looking down the line, are some of your investment strategies ways that you guys can step away from the quote work life and just have more of life earlier than maybe 63 or 65? <laughs> I wish I could say that you know, that was more of an option, I think, for us. But, you know, like we're all kind of like hypocrites, I think, as human beings. And so, you know, like I say that I, I want to own only really spend money on experiences but we are also investing on like actual possessions and trying to to make uh, uh, like our financial situation better so that hopefully our daughter will be better off um you know when she's grown up so i i feel like there's always like that duality or there's always those two people kind of working it out I'm in my brain. <laughs> Is that kind of like a, a devil and an angel? And if we go with that duality, what's the devil saying? And what's the angel saying? <laughs> I guess the angel would be, again, going back to like the Peace Corps experience. Coming back after that, it was just very apparent in the United States, or at least even in the community that I was living in after. Though there was just a really lack of community. There was really no sense of community here. Um, and I still think that that's part of it. I think that's also part of the reason why we're seeing a lot of uh, division and polarity in our politics. And kind of going back to, I guess, the original question, um, I guess the angel would be, you know, I, I want to do what's best for my community. Um, I don't want to do anything that's going to harm my community that I live in. Um, I want to make sure that even you know the people that have the least are somehow are going to get some type of benefit because I just don't think that we're going to be any better off if there's still people that are really 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 struggling. 
it's going to affect us all, um, no matter what socioeconomic status you're in. Um, but I guess the devil is kind of like, you know, like we put all this work into this house and we should get as much money as we can, you know, like as much equity as we can. You know, we deserve it because we did all this work. Also, I'm aware that where I'm living in a system that allows me to benefit from that type of work and also doesn't allow other people, you know, many times people of color, or most of the time, people of color, uh, they don't get that benefit. Um, they don't even have a chance to buy like a home and earn equity like that. And I guess those are the two kind of things I kind of struggle with. Like, I, I feel like I have certain morals and values that I would rather see my community safe and resources provided, like adequate resources provided to my community so that we don't see people uh, being killed by police and we don't see people, you know, like large amounts of homeless in, in uh, my community. Like that's, it kind of, it just really affects me. So that's kind of like my moral stance. Like that, that's, I feel like who I am, but then there's this like person that I also want to make as much money as I can. I feel like that's probably part of every human being maybe. I think that's the crux of being a compassionate soul within the confines of the capitalist system. It's being shocked that there's a Lambo at the streetlight with somebody also begging for food and understanding that that's just not okay. Yet at the same time, as you said, maybe then going home and trying to invest money to advance yourself a little bit further as far as building equity in an asset that you guys have invested a lot of money into. And so I've read that housing prices have been going down and people, landlords have been lowering their rents in and around the Bay Area as more and more tech employees essentially can go back to wherever they're from if they're not from the Bay Area and still work online. And so it's kind of creating a, a drain from the housing market, I guess you could say. Do you think that that will benefit some people who maybe couldn't buy a home or even rent moving forward? Or how do you think that will play out? Or will the rents rise once COVID's over? You know, I have an opinion on it, but you know, I'm no, I'm no expert on this topic. You know, it's all right. Let's, real, let's, I'm not a real estate agent. And let's hear the opinion. <laughs> we definitely have seen rents drop in the Bay Area, particularly in San Francisco, because there's been sort of mass exodus out of uh, San Francisco because people can now work from home permanently. For certain people who, who work at some tech companies, I guess, you know, I guess that's benefited people who uh, normally do rent and probably gave them some leverage to renegotiate their rental agreements. At least in the state of California, there's been a moratorium on rent. From what I understand, uh, they, you know, that rent is going to be collected someday. In terms of like home prices, I'm not seeing any any like drop. The pandemic has actually made people more reluctant to really list their homes, so there's actually like less supply, and actually the demand has increased because interest rates, like home interest, mortgage interest rates, have have really declined, and so everyone you know is trying to buy a home, but there aren't really a lot of homes available. So that's really actually jacked up 
home prices. Shifting a little bit into cryptocurrency away from housing and the wealth inequality in the Bay Area, you guys are at 3% right now of investing your surplus money. What's the highest that that percentage could get up to of your surplus? 10, 20, 30? Because crypto, as you know, is in a bullish market right now. And I do believe it will continue for probably through the summer into the fall. And so is there a talk about maybe increasing that even up to 9%? What, what does that look like? Yeah, no, I think the answer here is, you know, one that I've kind of read over and over again when I'm reading about just like people's opinions on cryptocurrency. And it's basically this, you only put in what you're willing to lose, basically. So I guess right now we're willing to lose 3% of our, our surplus income. I don't know how much we would want to go up, but I think it, it's probably more of like a personal decision based on your own financial situation too. Like how much are you willing to lose if things don't work out? So I think that's probably the best advice. And then when you saw on Instagram and I'm like, hey, does anyone want to come on and talk about budgeting and spending and finances? Let me tell you, it was crickets. And then I saw your message and I was like, aha, there is one. So what made you want to say that you want to hop on here? What is there? What about talking about money in more of a public forum or sharing your own experience? What was it? There probably just like a lot of like different reasons why maybe I wanted to get or just be on the podcast, talk about finances. But I guess for one, like, you know, I've never really talked on a podcast before. So thanks for breaking me in in, into the podcast game. It's your first time up at bat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully I'm not striking out. um, You're good. (laughs) Also, I guess I feel like there really isn't a lot of discussion around finances, particularly with like friends. Why do you think that is? Maybe like I had said before, it brings up like really um, uncomfortable topics like student debt or like, you know, other uh, type of debt. And I don't know, maybe people think or associate that with like failure or just like something really burdensome, like not something you really want to think about. And I know that it is a really common situation for particularly millennials right now. And so maybe that's part of the reason. Uh, there's probably a lot of other reasons, but it probably brings up uncomfortable topics for people. Is there something special that you think you're doing that other people could learn from and benefit from within your own household money management? I wasn't really aware of a lot of these like college savings funds, but you know, for people who do have kids, I think it's a worthwhile investment because you're, I mean, if you have the money and it doesn't have to be a lot, it can be like, you know, $50, $100 a month that you're putting away into a college fund. And from what I understand, there is some interest that grows with that. You know, if you're using it for education, you know, you can withdraw it without penalties and without, I think, taking taxes or paying taxes. But I'm kind of unfamiliar with it because I think wife did a lot of setting that up. But like putting away money, you know, amount that you're comfortable with, into whether it be like college savings fund or like a personal savings account or cryptocurrency and you're getting some type of investment or a return on it, or, you know, there's some interest that you're gaining month to month, all that really adds up. I think that's 
the idea of compound interest is a fascinating thing. And I wish I had learned about it earlier in my life. I, in episode 33, I think it was, talked about why you should definitely start to save if you're not saving. If you are saving, think about investing. And then if you are investing, think about definitely making cryptocurrency a part of your portfolio, because I think that that's a natural thing, especially with the future of cryptocurrency. I do believe it will probably not replace our money system, but it's going to really make a much larger part of our lives every year into the future, even as it is now, as more and more things go onto blockchain. So that was kind of episode 33, where I was like, all right, I want to build on that. And I talked about spending, saving and investing. And so thank you for coming on, sharing about your household money management. And yeah, thanks, Dan. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, I, uh, it was an interesting experience. <laughs> I learned a lot myself. Okay, good. <laughs>Thanks for listening to this episode. And if you enjoyed it, please leave a review wherever you're listening. Big thanks to Dan for hopping on the podcast and sharing openly about his finances. Like we said on the podcast, the more you talk about money, the better. Money doesn't have to be taboo. And I truly feel that either you control money or it may be controlling you. So let's take control today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Wi-Fi and Water Podcast. See you next time.